here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey lovers, and welcome back. I'm so curious about how many of my listeners self-identify as a slut and how many of you feel repulsed or turned off by the word. And I ask because it's such a controversial one. Do we use a word that's been a part of the oppressor's lexicon to disempower mainly women, but also minorities, or do we reclaim the word as an act towards sexual agency? I recently was in a conversation with a friend about the term slut, where they had received it as a reflection from a friend. And in that sense, it was reference to uh, perceived leaky sexual energy. And I think it's really powerful to become consciously aware to what our sexual energy means for us and how we use it. But I personally find that the use of the term slut to be more shaming and inhibiting rather than liberating and empowering. And if we use these terms in a way to shame somebody, it doesn't really create the opening for curiosity and understanding. Shame shuts us down. Shame causes us to hide. Shame causes us to attack ourselves or attack others. So I think there's layers there. And I think there's space for us to get curious. Why am I using this? So I've got a really edgy and intelligent conversation with Gabriella Herstick here, the author of so many books and blog about embodying the sacred slut and harnessing your sexuality as a form of healing and transcendence. Honestly, I fuck with that. (laughs) I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Maybe this episode will inspire some thought for you. Let me know in the reviews on iTunes or Spotify, and I can't wait to read what you share. I have been hinting at creating something very big around sex and psychedelics. Obviously, I rebranded the whole podcast to support this. And you all have been asking for an online program that's all genders. And I've been listening to you. My upcoming Sex Love Psychedelics seven-week online program is fucking fire. And this course is for anyone who's become bored with their sex lives, missing the passion and the play and their connection, and wanting to explore in more transcendent states of sex, whether that's with psychedelics, BDSM, or energetic practices. I go into both the science and the art of sex so that you can access some of these typically complex concepts for yourself and transform mundane sex into wet puddles of ecstasy. It's almost done and you can see the landing page and sign up to receive the announcement when it drops right now. But I also need your help to complete it. So I have a survey that is gathering data on individuals' experiences with sex and psychedelics. If you have any, I would love for you to fill that out for me. It's going to be so helpful in educating others about experiences to support more safe and informed use. And if you're open to helping me out, I'd be forever grateful. And so will so many others who will benefit from this too. Sex Love Psychedelics online program and the link to the survey is in the show notes. to Gabriella Herstick, who is the author of Sacred Sex, Inner Witch, 
Bewitching the Elements and Embody Your Magic, as well as the essays that I'm excited to dive into, Diary of a Sacred Slut. She is a priestess of Kink Coven and a monthly full moon ritual play party for the protection and the prosperity of sex workers. Bless you. I fucking love this. I'm, I've been just like giddy <laughs> about this conversation. <laughs> Yay, me too. I'm so excited to be here. And for those of you who aren't watching the video, but her, the whole background of her space is filled to the brim with sacred slutty, <laughs> you know, Venus on the wall and BDSM toys hanging. I fucking love it. Thank you. I, I try, I try. <laughs> How long has it taken you to fully embrace this, this um, aspect of yourself or this, this vision of yourself? Oh my God. What a beautiful question. Honestly, like, I feel like this kind of like incarnation of self is something that I've been like working towards probably for like five to six years. Like, yeah, I really didn't get into BDSM and like any kind of formal capacity beyond like maybe getting like fakely choked a little bit in bed until I moved to LA and like met, um, my friend and colleague, Alexander Roxo. Oh, me too. I love love her. her. Yeah. So she led, um, she and blue of Fox body studios in Oakland led a like Shabari retreat where it was like getting tied and then also like on sexual healing and like healing sexual shame. And I went to that and got tied up and wrote about it for Nylon Magazine. And that was about five years ago. And that was kind of like the catalyst for me, like seriously exploring BDSM and my desires and kink and like also integrating that into like my magical practice. But I started working with like sex magic probably six years ago. And like all of those things have kind of coalesced. And I feel like now yeah, like over half a decade later, it's kind of like I've been able to like create this life that I've like was envisioning back then, which feels really good. You know, that's so interesting to hear you say combining the BDSM with the sacredness, because that's something that I feel really, really passionate about is bringing in some of this more profanity into spaces that are, you know, secret and that are conscious. And, and I've noticed uh, like, I, I, you know, my community has a, or my, I would say my original community was more tantric oriented. And then I'd bring in the kinky toys and be like, that's fine. They'd be like, oh, I know, yeah. you know, and over the years I'm seeing more and more warmth yeah. and more like interest in it. Yeah. So how did you, how did you go into that path of combining those two? And what does that mean for you? Ooh, what a beautiful, another beautiful question. Girl, I'm full of um, them. I full love of it. Them. I love it. I love it. Wait, remind me of your sign. Of my. Your, your, your like sun sign. Yeah. Your astrology sign. Libra. Oh my God. Of course. Ruled by <laughs> Venus and an air sign. So of course you have beautiful questions. I love it. Um, I think for me, like, honestly, I have just always like, I'm super Aquarius and I'm a twin. And I feel like those things combined, like being my own person with my own interests and being true to who I am is like at the core of like my life. And it's at the core of like my spiritual path and my, my spiritual quest, if you will. And, um, I have always like really dwelled in, been inspired by and felt a lot of duality within myself, both as somebody who's like, 
you know, I feel like so many of our stories are like, we're too much and not enough. We're too this, Mm -hmm. we're not enough this, or like, we're too sweet. We're too mean. Like I've definitely felt kind of that pull between these aspects of like what I've now kind of come to term my like heavenly or angelic self and like my underworld self, like these two notions of who I am. And when I started a kind of devotional relationship with the goddess Venus, who is the goddess, the Roman goddess of love and sex and lust and glamour and beauty and value. Um, I started working with like sex magic and orgasms as a way to honor her. And within that, I realized that I really also had space to explore my desires and the things that were like of interest to me and that turned me on. And that for me, a lot of it is BDSM. Um, so I started incorporating like my exploration of kink in a like super intentionally solo manner because I realized mm-hmm. I was like waiting for partners to kind of like yeah. unleash this part of myself or like waiting for partners to help me explore. And like, obviously it's a lot easier to explore these things with like somebody else, but it's not impossible to do solo, like, you know, mm-hmm. self-tying or doing for me, like I do a lot of candle magic in my witchcraft. So I, w- I started using body safe wax candles and I could use with wax play and, you know, like, yeah, it's not as fun as thank yourself, but you can definitely still do it. So like, I really made this conscious effort to incorporate these things that turned me on that felt worthy of exploration, like in my heart. Like I knew that it was something that I had to do into my devotional practice with the divine feminine. Um, and that has remained kind of like this beautiful, I guess, like center point to my practice and to my devotion. So I think for me, it's, it's like, you know, like I'm really inspired by dichotomy and polarity. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that's one of my lessons. Like I had this moment, um, a few weeks ago where it was like, well, like I'm a twin. I was born on February 2nd. I was born at 10 o'clock at night, which is 22 o'clock, 22, 17, 22 o'clock. So like, there's this, all <laughs> these like t- repetitive, like twos in my life. And I, you know, like I'm a Mexican Jew. I grew up in the deep South. I'm a witch. Like I've definitely felt this pull towards like these different kind of dichotomies. And I think for me, integrating BDSM was, yeah, you know, for me, like I'm a masochist. I do really like intense experiences and I enjoy the feelings that I get from being like, from experiencing pain alongside pleasure. Like it, it felt like, like that subversion is something that's always like turned me on and adding that and making that kind of like a part of my spiritual journey. It kind of just, I don't know, it kind of felt natural. I think that, you know, when we have big reactions to things, whether it's like, ew, or like, wow, that it's something to pay attention to. And I think a lot of the time with kink, like when we first encounter something and we have that kind of yuck, it's like, just something to keep an eye on. Cause a lot of the time it comes up as like something that can be a really big, like part of our kink or part of our, yeah. our exploration of BDSM, you know, like those things that you have intense reactions to are always worth taking note. And I feel like that, like kink is such an energy-based exchange that comes with so much structure, like a ritual where like it, I didn't really think about combining the two. It's just like, as I was exploring my sexuality as a part of my spiritual path, BDSM kind of fell into it as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cause even just in your process, there's you facing the, 
uh, image of this, this acceptable female sexuality mm-hmm. and saying, I am choosing to follow what my desire is versus what, what this image is of what I'm, I'm expected to do, which I think is a very brave and courageous thing to do in our culture where we, there is a lot of stigma and shame around, uh, desire or having desire, yeah. you know, that yeah. desire is something that's dangerous or desire is selfish. Yeah. And so here you're, even just modeling how we can heal, heal through these dichotomies. Yeah. Thank you. I try. (laughs) And I feel like part of it too is like, and this is something I've been really kind of musing over. I think I wrote it about it for the last diary of a sacred slut. Um, Like this idea that, you know, like, I mean, obviously like my work is centered around witchcraft. Like that's a huge part of like who I am, of my work, of what I share, of how I share it, why I share it. And like, obviously I feel like the world needs as many witches as possible. And if you feel the call towards that path and that's all the invitation you need to be a witch. And I also recognize that like at the end of the day, historically the witch lives outside of the confines of respectability. She is, I mean, the witch, which I say she, because historically women have been connected with witchcraft. We've also just been marginalized and every, like, you know, most of the major figures, even though witchcraft is a religion, um, not a religion, it, it can be, even though witchcraft is a spiritual practice, that is like a lot. It's, there's a lot of women and femmes who practice like, most of historically the voices who have been like the authorities on witchcraft have still been men. So for me, and that's the story of the occult in the West in general, Mm -hmm. I say, I call the witch she, but the witch, if you're, you can be any gender expression, you can be non-binary, you can be a dude. It doesn't matter. Witchcraft is for everybody, but I just wanted to add that caveat. Um, The witch historically has been somebody outside of the confines of respectability. She has been the other, the outsider, the queer person, the slut, you know, she's been somebody with no kids. She has been the crone. The wish has like, is a legacy of, of being ostracized, of being, you know, like hunted, of being outside of like what's acceptable. And I think that like, you know, there is this history of sexuality with witchcraft. I think that sexual energy is at the center of witchcraft. Um, I think connecting to that as well and recognizing that like that, you know, like witchcraft is part of like my legacy and part of my work. And part of that means that there's just going to be people who aren't okay with it. And like, I just got to say, fuck it and be like the wild feral witch that I am. And (laughs) you know, what is I say? Feral, feral witch winter. Here we come. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was laughing the other day. I feel like I was birthed with the correct name, Kat, because I am very feral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it so much. I've heard in your dialogue the use of um, words like witch or um, goddess names like Venus. And so these are a lot of um, archetypes that we associate specific images or qualities or characteristics to. And you use that a lot in your work. You use that in the tarot deck that you use. You use that in, um, you know, even in the Diary of a Sacred Slut. Can you share with our audience how you implement uh, archetypes or what you see them to be a power uh, power tool for us? Yeah, what a good, what a good observation. Um, so I 
guess first for me, like the way that I define archetypes is definitely, you know, like something that dwells collectively within us that we all have this kind of connection to, right? Jung called it the collective unconscious. And he's the one that kind of, you know, termed these ideas of archetypes as these energies that we all have access to, that we all have familiarity with. And I definitely believe that. And I also recognize like for me as somebody who is polytheistic and pagan, i recognize these energies as something both outside of myself, like as above, as energies, beings that I work with, that I honor, that I foster relationships with, whether that's, you know, specifically through like the goddesses I work with, like Venus and more kind of figuratively as the witch. I wouldn't necessarily say like I honor the archetype of a witch as a god, but I recognize that within myself. And like, for me, the second part of archetype, working with archetypes is like, yes, there's this kind of energy figure being um, vibration outside of yourself that you're connecting to by thinking of or creating Mm -hmm. around this archetype or, you know, looking at art or whatever it is. And then at the, at the, other point of that, you know, it's as above, so below, it's also an energy that you have this kind of seed within you. Like the blueprint is there. When I'm honoring Venus as a goddess, I'm also awakening that consciousness and that energy within myself. I'm also awakening Mm -hmm. the archetype within myself. Um, so like for me, like goddesses are archetypes and they're also their own deities and beings that kind of comes with the polytheistic side of it. Um, but again, like you, like you saw, like, or like you said, like for me, like the witch is an archetype I work strongly with. The slut is an archetype I work strongly with. And what that means for me is that it's something that I like honor outside of myself. Like I love, you know, like through the history of the lineage of the archetype, right? Like there is a history of witches who have, who have both you know, been able to make a name for themselves and who have been wrongly accused and killed for being witches. Same thing with sluts, right? There's um, a whole lineage of priestesses in the Near East and the Far East who work with sexual energy to honor the goddess. We're not 100% sure if all of them existed, but like the energy of that, that lineage is still here, still present. That's something that's an like an archetypal um, blueprint that I can connect to and awaken within myself as somebody who honors like the sacred sexual powers of the divine feminine. So, um, I think for me, it's like almost seeing these different things as muses, like Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. energies that inspire me, um, or parts or things that I can form kind of like a devotional relationship with. Like one of the, you know, kind of, practices that I've been doing for about a year and a half is from new moon to new moon. So that the whole lunar month, I devote myself to a specific kind of like archetype or intention or vibration or thing that I'm like really committing to. And I meditate with every day. So like in the past, I've done devotionals to the holy whore or to the unknown. And those kind of become these... because it's a long form devotional, because it's something I'm connecting to through my magical practice every day, it becomes a container for that exploration. And that to me is also very similar to like the archetype where it's something that's in my subconscious that I'm then making conscious through like connection and inspiration. And um, yeah, it's been a really powerful practice. I love that. And even I use a lot of archetype work in the classes that I lead as well, because it gives us these uh, reference points of qualities that we may want to be able to embody in ourselves. So for so many 
individuals who have a difficult time with connecting with their sexuality or this wild feralness. And they're like, that's not me. I'm a mom with kids. And I, and I, you know, president of the PTA, whatever. And it's hard for them to integrate these, you know, that they, they're also these sexual beings, you know, it's the whole concept of the Madonna whore, which Mm -hmm. are perfect representations of these archetypes that battle each inside of us, or that we completely cut off in order to preserve our place in society. And it's almost like having these, these stories, these mythology helps us to anchor into what that could look like to embody mm-hmm. a softer or a more wild or a harder or, or a um, fierce, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> fierce character in our inside of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it, it gives us something kind of concrete to work with or to, you know, like, like you said, I think it integrates a great word. And I know for myself too, it's like, there's, it's not just that you have to like meditate on the thing, right? You can like watch movies or listen Mm -hmm. to podcasts or read books or like draw or read poetry. Like I think having like a creative connection to these archetypes can also help us like connect to them in a more like, into like intuitive way, which, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can't really access the subconscious mind logically. You have to kind of like find other ways of getting there. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, symbols and and mm-hmm. feelings, embodiment. Mm-hmm. In um, somatic psychology, we talk about we refer to these as resources. Ooh. So, will in uh, in my EMDR sessions um, with clients, I'll have them visualize, you know, whether it's a place or a specific person, and really take in what that feels like or hold yeah. the body stance of it, because it activates that that memory in our body so that we yeah. on this and then it um uh we feel it viscerally as if it's actually happening yeah i love that yeah the and you've brought up slut a couple of times which is one of the biggest reasons i was like we gotta have you about this I fucking love this when I saw that you were posting uh you were publishing pieces of your work diary of a sacred slut and to to focus in on even just that word slut there's so much controversy mm-hmm. around the use of that word in our society and in the feminist culture too you know where there's argu- arguments on either side um it, there's been movements towards the reclamation of the word slut uh we've seen this in like the book ethical slut we've seen this in the slut walk protest we've seen uh the use of slut shaming as a negative connotation um even storylines in in tv where it's more about women's sexual autonomy and i love this and yet at the same time there's also counter arguments from the feminist community that there's efforts towards reclaiming this term is actually pretty fruitless because it's deeply ingrained in the association of slut as something that's um, derogatory or um, that in rape culture has been used to police feminine sexuality and the hypersexualization of female bodies. So with these, these countering arguments, <laughs> what do you see as your perspective and how have you used that in uh, as inspiration for your work? Yeah, so I understand both sides like I definitely get it and I think for me it's like I was called a and I think this is a story for so 
many people, mm-hmm. especially women, because it's our sexuality has like been used against us more so than men because men are allowed to fuck around and it's just cool for them and they don't really, you know, whatever. It's another conversation, I guess, maybe. But um, I was called a slut before I'd even like kissed anybody. Like I was called a slut when I was just like flirting with guys in bands and like going to shows and like literally hadn't even had my first kiss. So it's like... Yeah. And, you know, like I know for myself, like I've written about this in my essay series. It's like, I, you know, have struggled with feeling really prudish and then I've struggled with feeling really slutty. And like at the end of the day, I'm a Scorpio moon and I like things that are kind of like subversive, not in an edgelord way, but in a way that like connects me to like my shadow in a yummy, delicious way. And like, I don't know if I was called slut before I was a slut and like now I'm actually a slut. Like I fucking love that word. I'm going to use it. And like, I kind of like that, you know, like it makes people Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Like I've always said this, I still firmly believe it. Like my work is not for everybody. It's who it's for. If it resonates with you, that's great. But like, I'm not here writing my books to please everybody because you're never going to please anybody, you know? Yeah. And while I understand that, slut does have a negative connotation it's not like I'm using the n-word it's not like I'm using like a racial slur like women's sexuality has always been policed and it's going to continue being policed whether I use the word slut or not like so for me it's just I like it I think it has a nice sound to it I like that it to me represents like a woman who is or somebody who is sexually independent and making their own choices outside of the confines of like heteronormative vanilla monogamy. And as somebody who tries to live outside of that, like kind of dichotomy anyway, it feels really resonant. And, you know, like, again, I mentioned that paradox and duality are really like big teachers for me and are things that really inspire me. Like, because slut is something that is, has this negative connotation in like normal life, the idea for me of being a sacred slut made it, it just was like, first off, it just sounds nice. I love the alliteration, (laughs) but beyond that, it's like, no, I'm doing all the slut shit for like a spiritual purpose for like, for me, because it feels right. And like, how are you going to tell me that that's like, a bad thing. So I hope people come at me because I've been in the mood to be angry about shit and just like stand (laughs) up for stuff. So like, let's go like, please. But you know, like I get it. And at the same time, like, I don't know, like, I feel like a lot of people who police the terms we use for feminine sexuality, it's like, well, are you a swerf? Like, are you a turf? Cause especially if that, I don't fucking care what you have to say. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, to even see the popularity of the word pussy being used. Like there mm-hmm. has been a reclamation mm-hmm. and there has been a shift in, in, in how we, um, how we approach it. I mean, yes, I use that word in the classes that I teach and, you know, it does elicit some uncomfortability in people, but then we get to process it. And then I see, yeah individuals, um, women and femme then own it and be, and say pussy all over the place and cause discomfort in other people and then help them transform it. So I think that there's, you you have to start somewhere with a process of transforming. And if this is where we're at and it's still in the, um, it is still, very much in the space of both a derogatory term and an empowered term. I think that's part of the transformation. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, 
you know, like I like if a random stranger came up to me and was like, Hey, you're a slut. I'd be like, first off, how'd you know? Second off, like, what the fuck? That's (laughs) something else. But also it's like, if I'm calling myself a slut and then like somebody was like, Hey, you shouldn't be calling yourself that. It's like, there's like, so now you're policing the language I use for myself, which is like kind of its own problem. Like (laughs) I just, it's nuanced. It's really hard. And like we said, like, I think like, you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's, if something makes you uncomfortable, it gives you a chance to go in and do some exploration. And like, Mm -hmm. if me calling myself a sacred slut or a slut makes you uncomfortable, like that's not up to me. That's actually up to you to wonder why like me claiming language makes you feel weird. And maybe it's because you want to claim the word slut too. And you haven't given yourself permission. It's like, I, I, you know, like I really, struggle sometimes with like being like a teacher like I'm not a fucking coach I'm not a spiritual guide like I'm just somebody who's like I lead by example and like that's part of the reason I really love like writing this series because I'm not like I gotta just like live my life and turn like find the wisdom in that and then just hopefully share it in a way that's like fun for people to read like I'm not out here trying to be perfect yeah you're an artist and I think there's a lot of learning that we can get from art I just recently had um Tales of Laura on and I I was on her podcast not too long ago and I just love this ability of how we can use art as transformation and healing Mm -hmm. and education just as much and, you know, <laughs> speaking of that, uh, I recently, so every Friday I post these, these very sexual memes. <laughs> and I love I, like it. I love your memes. I love a good sexy meme. Your memes are so fun. Thank you. I'm like, well, if I become famous, it'll be for my memes. <laughs> yeah, literally. So, so anyway, I posted these memes about uh, Disney. They were Disney princesses and they all had some sort of sexual connotation to them. Like one was about anal. Another one was about having more than one boyfriend, lesbian lover coming in and, and separating the two of you. Um, and, and my caption of this was really about, you know, correcting the, the harm that the illusion of Disney fantasy relationships put on us. And I, I had somebody, somebody commented in, in my uh, comments that I was, that I was perverted. And I was like, yes, you're right. Yeah, I, I, so I cool. agree. <laughs> you are correct. And I said, if you've been following me for a while, you've probably picked up that I am perverted. And I think similar to what we're talking about with the word slut, pervert, to pervert something is, uh, doesn't need to be negative either. It means to twist something yeah. um, or to turn away of, turn away from something that's generally used or to use it in a different way to misuse it. And (laughs) I think, you know, even with slut or pussy or cunt, and I know all this is going to be censored for Instagram. (laughs) You know, do we need to, I don't know that we can completely change the word slut in our culture, especially in the hands of the oppressors. They're still going to use it in derogatory terms, but maybe we'll be able to deflate it or pervert the meaning around it by using it in these ways that are more empowered. Or that's my hope. Yeah. When we're subverting or perverting these words that at once, at one time, you know, potentially could have brought us harm into something that's empowering, then we're also like reclaiming that power. And when people use those words against us, like it doesn't hurt us. So I I do think it's like, it's really powerful. And I, again, like, you know, not in an edgelord way, I'm not saying that everything has to be like annoying or hurtful, but like the spiritual path and like exploring your sexuality in a way that's like 
very personal are intense things that are like not easy and they're not vanilla and they're not going to just be like walking to enlightenment. Like it is an underworld journey. And I think having a sense of humor and like allowing yourself to come to different conclusions with these things is really important. Like just because you like, I didn't always use the word slut to describe myself. That wasn't always something that resonated. And then it did. And like, I allowed myself to like, enjoy that, you know, same with pussy. Like what do I use the word pussy to describe somebody who like in like a derogatory way? No, because I fucking love pussies and I think they're amazing. And I'm not going to like be like, Hey, you're a pussy. Cause like, you don't have the depth or the emotional, like the warmth, you know, like whatever. But it, there is kind of this, like, I do think that there's power and perversion and it's just more fun to be a perv, like whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think it lends to what you were sharing earlier with, you know, kinkifying things, you know, there's that oftentimes things that turn us on are on the other side of these intense, passionate emotions of whether it's disgust or aversion or um, that the, you know, this is the concept of shadow work, or this is the concept of, yeah, going into these pain points and really discovering what's there. Exactly. When you do shadow work, what does that look like? Ooh, you know what? I don't really think it's one thing. I think it's a relationship I have with myself so I can know what the thing to do is to be there for myself. So like the way that I kind of define shadow work is like conscious introspection, connection, ritual, and magic around like the parts of yourself that are maybe harder to love or the parts of yourself that you're not ready to accept or the parts of yourself that are like, you know, patterns and thoughts and just like, yeah, I think patterns is probably the best word that are just maybe probably most likely definitely served you at one point, protected you, held you, but now no longer do that. Like, you know, for me, I do shadow work around a lot of stuff, whether that's like my love life and releasing patterns of like, just, you know, picking partners who are actually like not healthy for me or around my relationship with cannabis or around social media. Like it's not just one thing. And I don't have just like one practice for shadow work. For me, it's the discipline of sitting down every day and checking in with myself. Oh, are you there? I'm so sorry. My phone yeah, I'm is here. 20%. Okay. That's okay. Um, I'll rewind like 10 seconds. So yeah, shadow work for me, it's not that it's one thing or one process. It's the daily, you know, it's the discipline of checking in with myself every day of being honest with how I feel and of, you know, having systems of support and rituals and things that I can do to help move through that. So like, sometimes that looks like meditation with a cord cutting. Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, some kind of rage practice and like shaking and screaming or ripping my bed with the towel. Sometimes it is, you know, like a meditation with a certain goddess or talking to my dom, who's also a devotee of the goddess and the dark goddess. And she like helps me some of my boundaries. Like it's, you know, not necessarily one thing. And it can be like writing a letter, whatever it is. Um, but I think for me, shadow work, big part of it is going to therapy regularly and keeping up with like, just being honest with my mental health. That's been a big thing, but Mm -hmm. I really think it's a relationship I have with my shadow. And honestly, like a big part of that for me is kink. And it is 
um, BDSM and especially like accepting that and doing, you know, these things that help me accept how kinky I am or the fact that I really am not satisfied by like vanilla sex 99% of the time. Like uh, I think shame, shame can be a really good kind of teacher for us. Um, as to like where we need to kind of do this work with a lot of compassion. And I know for myself that, yeah, it's like the mix of being a prude and being a slut and, you know, how just releasing the past versions of myself that I no longer have to, to be in this incarnation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it's an, it's really like a retrieval, um, becoming Mm -hmm. consciously aware of these parts of you that, aren't socially acceptable or desirable. Yeah. And just really, really embodying and integrating that. And see, that's, you know, that is what I, how I define healings personally. It's like, I feel like there's this image in society that healing or when you reach healing, it's like, you don't have any of these reactions anymore. (laughs) You're like even kill all the time, but I don't, I, I see it more of like when these parts come up, like when I'm a fucking grouch, <laughs> you know, and I, and I see it, I can own it and be like, okay, here we are again. You know, I'm just going to self-regulate and be in my little grouch fest, yeah. <laughs> knowing that this is here, not making it wrong or shameful and hiding it, but allowing it to, to be a part of me. Yeah, exactly. I definitely relate. And I also feel like part of it's like, yeah, not doing the spiritual bypassing thing, right? Yeah. Like our anger, our shame, our rage, our wildness, our grouchiness, like they're all parts of the human experience. They're all teachers. They're not any less sacred than our love and our light. Um, and I do think that we, you know, like we are definitely at a weird time in like our spirit, in the, just like in the spiritual journey as like a collective, because like you know, we live in a very capitalist money-driven society where everything is like sold to us. And like, yes, I feel very, very grateful for the accessibility of so many healing modalities for so many people. And also it's like healing is not, there's no end point. We're never going to be healed. You know, like there's where life is literally just getting closer to death each day. There's going to be things that are hurting us for, and things we have to work through through the rest of our lives. And I think that like feeling rushed towards healing or enlightenment Mm -hmm. can really take us out of just like our day to day. And also just makes us at least from like my perspective, it like, Mm -hmm. if you think you're going to be healed one day, like completely, then like, you're going to be less compassionate for yourself as you're healing. Cause your healing journey, like in my opinion, it's a journey. It never stops. Yeah. We have your whole life to complete the curriculum. We don't have to do it in a weekend retreat. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? Maybe we have multiple lives, right? Like I just like something that I've definitely seen kind of in like the tradition of like Western magic that I study is that like people are like, I want to complete the great work in this life. Like I want to reach enlightenment in this life, which is like also very tantric. Like I recognize that, you know, like, especially like Hindu Tantra was like a kind of fast paced way to reach, you know, to jump off the wheels of reincarnation or whatnot. But it's also like, okay, but like, what if we just don't reach that in this life? Like, what if there is no rush? And like, I don't have to feel like I'm going to be enlightened in this life. And like, what if I just do the work to be a better person for my own sake and for the sake of like the collective? And like, what if I heal for myself in the sake of the collective instead of just like trying to like 
accomplish this thing. So I might reach enlightenment, mm-hmm. even though I don't know what enlightenment is, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. know, just something I'm yeah. thinking about. Yeah. I I think of the same way. Mm-hmm. And if we go towards these parts of us, you know, that aren't socially acceptable with an agenda to get rid of them, does that make it harder to actually work with these parts? Oh yeah. You know, Ooh. do they become more elusive or do they become stronger and louder inside of yeah. us? Yeah. Because yeah. we're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. It's like, why get rid of them? We could just love them and just yeah. be like, Hey, this is like part of the fucked up, weird, kinky, beautiful experience of life. Like I'm just going to love the part of myself that gets angry or I'm just going to love myself. Even if I've experienced this really horrible thing, And it doesn't mean that I have to like be grateful it happened. It means that I got to be grateful that I have today, even through that shitty thing. So it's definitely it's difficult, but I, you know, that's why we come back to the spiritual practice, like Mm -hmm. make us better people. If it's not making you a better person and like more compassionate, what's the point in my Mm -hmm. opinion? Yeah. And even sex as a, as an avenue for us to be able to really embody those parts. I have found a lot more calmness in my life and I'm reaching more nourishing in my life. And somebody asked me, um, actually yesterday there was a conversation. Um, they're like, do you miss being intense? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm so tense and chaotic and fucking wild riots in the bedroom <laughs> and like in sexual spaces. And I just, you know, allow it all to like overtake me. And but that's because I have that space that can yeah, to, to do exactly. that, whether with myself or with another, uh, other people. And it's, and it's so it, yeah, sex and eroticism can be such a place for, for that mm-hmm. transformation or the outlet. I think yeah, that's what I feel that is. too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, I feel like it's like somebody described like a mosh pit as like this place outside of like social like acceptability where you can like go in and like beat people up and then like but it's like okay and like there's like this like totally different set of like like how to handle that where it's like outside of the real world and I feel like yeah like I feel like that kind of liminal space is so true with kink like I'm not gonna let a random person like beat me up until I'm black and blue in a regular setting but like in this place where like we've all agreed upon the experience and where like a lot of the time there's like some kind of you know theater to it whether it's what I'm wearing or like the dungeon space I'm in or like the bedroom I'm in like it is a shift in like my day-to-day and like that's where I'm able to like yeah be this like person that like I can't be in my waking life because like I have to go to the grocery store and store and like get shit done so I definitely feel like BDSM and kink is like anything else. My favorite part of it is it's, it's this place to explore this like subversion, this part of myself that has been so rejected and like an environment that it's celebrated and it's safe Mm -hmm. to do so. And like, that doesn't mean that every kink space is safe or that Mm -hmm. like everything is going to be safe. Like we are being, you know, like we are risk aware when we practice our kink and like kink Mm -hmm. is consensual if it's not consensual, it's abuse. So Um, you know, there's definitely like nuance to it, but I definitely feel the same. Like my, my fucking mom, she's so funny. I love her, but 
she's like, you seem like my mom and like my like family friends have all said this to me within like the past, however long I've like seen them. They're like, you're so like, you are glowing. You seem so happy. You seem so fulfilled. Like you're doing so well. Like, what is it? And I'm like, thanks. It's getting late in sex work, but I can't tell you either of those things. You know, it's like these things that have brought me like abundance and nourishment and like this like place to explore these things that I was ashamed of. And like, yeah, do it in this environment. Like, having those spaces like allows me to be a lot more centered and calm and fulfilled in my, in the other areas of my life because I have an outlet for it. So I totally, mm-hmm. totally understand that. Mm-hmm. And also relate to people being like, you're so calm and like, you're not chaotic. I'm like, it's because the chaos is in my brain in my bedroom and in my drawers and you don't see it. So thanks, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Containment. And I think exactly is a, is a, an important skill to be able to cultivate so that we can yeah. harness our, our power and our energy and our chaos and in, in other ways the, you bring up an interesting point on safety that I want to touch on. So you're talking about, you know, these dungeon spaces or these, or even bedrooms that create a containment for safety. And yet you're also very fully expressed with your sexual autonomy and with your expression online and in your writings. So for individuals who want to express their sexual autonomy um, and we're still living in this rape culture with sexual violence towards femme, women, queer, especially people of color, how, what advice would you give to them? Ooh, okay. Um, so first off, trust your intuition. I feel like that's the first thing, like trust your intuition. And when you're play, like, I would say trust your intuition and start like how, but figure out how you can explore by yourself before you invite like other people, unless you have like a partner who are you already love and trust. Um, I think that it's difficult because you know, like not everybody has the safety to talk about sex online or express Mm -hmm. themselves online, depending on their job or if they have a family or whatever it is. So I think that like doing this stuff, like for yourself first is a really good way to start. Like dress up in things that make you feel really sexy. Like have a night where like you transform your bedroom into like a play space, right? Like get a toy or two or watch porn or like read erotica or dress up and take photos of yourself or videos of yourself just for yourself. And like, I would just start diving in with it that way. And like, that's kind of obviously going to be a safer experience because when you start involving other people, there's a lot more to consider. Um, if you do want to play with other people and like, you are kind of looking more towards like finding play partners, um, honestly, like I would, you could use FetLife, which is like a BDSM like website. That's probably still the best way to connect with people, mm-hmm. but like always, always vet people. Like if you're playing with somebody who says they're a dom, ask them for the contact information of two other subs they've seen and talk to them and ask them their experience with this person. Um, or like if you're, you know, like another kind of safe way to explore, I'd say would be going to like, um, like sex toy stores or like local dungeons. A lot of the times we'll have, um, like classes and meetups and like open play parties. And like, that's a good way to get, to get in the door. But like York, like you are the one that's making the calls. Like if it doesn't feel right, it's not like just honor that. I think it's really like a matter of 
knowing your own boundaries, allowing yourself to like evolve with them. And also like knowing that it's okay to say no and that like Mm -hmm. nobody should be touching you or doing anything without your like enthusiastic consent. Yeah. Um, I love that you just said vetting. Vetting is so so important. important. And we just like, yeah, we jump in because we have this desire and the desire can blur our judgment because we just want that thing. But then we end up in these situations or these dom relationships or relationships in general, working with um, somebody that that does do harm. And then are we actually able to see that or are we blinded again by the desire to to have that? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely difficult and it's tricky. And like with dating apps too, it's like, I know like if you're, especially if you're looking for like a kind of like Dom sub or DS dynamic, like be really, really cautious if somebody on Tinder is like, Hey, I'm a Dom. If they're on Tinder telling you (laughs) that they're a Dom, be, you know, wary. Like, um, the app field is really good actually for kind Uh of like more kinky explorations. And again, like I, you know, like it's on one hand, like, I do think that it's important. Like, obviously it's like so important to keep yourself safe. And at the same time, I do think that there's just like, you learn about yourself through these experiences and like, even just getting coffee with somebody and having a conversation around kink, which I always recommend if you're playing with somebody and you're meeting up with them, like, don't just play, like go get coffee in a vanilla setting, Mm -hmm. ask them about their experiences, you know, like this shit takes time. And it honestly is like a learning curve, like learning how to spank somebody or like choke somebody. Like there are safe ways to do these things. And if you want this to be a part of your life, first off, hell yeah, kudos. You're allowed to want that. And like part of the fun is like learning. So like Mm -hmm. read the books, go take classes, honestly, hire a sex worker. Like if you really want to get like, you know, tied up and spanked and you want somebody who's going to do it right, hire somebody. Like Mm -hmm. they'll also be able to have you like in a safe space to do that with like the stuff that you need, um, whatever. So, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, like I think that committing to it as an exploration of self and then also like opening yourself up to, you know, writing about it. You can even start like a Tumblr or something where it's like anonymous or like an OnlyFans. Like don't, like don't mm-hmm. knock the internet. The internet's a really good way to find community and also to kind of be an exhibitionist if you can't fully be that in your real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely have a fantasy about that. And <laughs> if you are wanting to vet your practitioners, like we're saying here, I highly recommend it. I created a guide to help you vet your sex workers or your psychedelic facilitators. So be sure to get that link in the bio. Very passionate about this. Yes. Oh my God. That's such a great resource. I'm going to administer that with my community too. Yay. (laughs) So a couple of questions from the audience, for those of you who've been listening or following me on sex, love yoga, you know, that I put this out to my audience to see if they have any questions. So We do have um, two questions today, although I think we answered one of them already. Uh, But the first question that we've got is, how can I start a sex magic practice? Oh my God, this is a great question. Um, Honestly, I'm going to have to, I am not going to be able to fully describe this in the time we have left, which is why I'm going to say get her book. Yeah, get Get my book, (laughs) Sacred Sex, The Magic and Path of Divine Erotic. Um, honestly, the first steps I would say would be like, transform your next, I would suggest masturbation, self-love session into a ritual, light candles, like incense, put on some music, 
allow it to be something outside of your normal masturbation experience. And as you're coming, think of an intention, whether that's healing or meeting yourself more fully or finding the right apartment, you're, you're going to be charging this intention with sexual energy through orgasm as close as you can get to orgasms or multiple orgasms. Um, that's like the basic step. And I think that more than anything, it's a way of connecting to your sexuality outside, also outside of just having sex. So what brings you pleasure? What helps you connect to your heart? What helps you feel in your body? What turns you on outside of like getting a dick in you, like, or, you know, getting a, a tongue in your pussy, like having that kind of connection is a big part of it. And then also like recognizing that your sexuality can be a part of your spirituality. It doesn't have to be separate. I think is like the other kind of touchstone. Um, but yeah, my book goes into like lots and lots and lots of details for this mm. specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then the second question is about, you know, basically what we just said, I want to be slutty, but I don't feel safe doing it where I live. I'd be very curious about where this person lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I wasn't really like fully in my slut era until I moved to LA and I grew up in the Bible belt and I totally understand that. I think that for me, what I always, or what I've been really writing about is this idea that like slut isn't what you do or how many people you fuck. It's a state of mind. It's a way of flirting with the world and being flirted with. It's a way of desiring the world and being desired by it. It's a way of being turned on by the world and turning it on. Like it's an energetic relationship to your sexuality that permeates your vanilla life, that permeates your daily life. It's a way of being in relationship to that, both with yourself and other people. So like, even if you're not like, you know, like going out and sleeping with a bunch of people, which may be how some people are slutty and maybe not how other people are slutty, like, you know, allow your sexuality to guide you. Like, and also that's why I fucking love social media. Like when I was in the South, like the, like people in South Carolina weren't appreciating my outfits, but Instagram was, you know, like allow yourself to be a little bit of an exhibitionist or like, you know, connect to that through like erotica or to like your friends who you can like exchange stories with, or like, you know, like starting an OnlyFans or, I mean, that's a lot, it's a lot to just start that, but like, you know, starting like posting some sexier stuff on your Instagram, whether it's private or not, or like watching movies, like it's more than just doing that. Also, like if you do live somewhere where it's not safe, like just that's like part of the journey. Like that's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. Um, and it's better to be a safe slot than not. So like, mm. I get it, but I think kind of like rewriting what it means to be a slut for you can help you feel like connected to that in your own way. Cause like how I was a slut in Georgia and South Carolina is like a very different than how I'm a slut in LA. And it's like going to be very different for my friends in Charleston or Columbia, you know, versus mm -hmm. like here. So, um, what does it mean for you to be slutty? What is that energy? Is it like dressing a certain way? Is it flirting with people? Is it just like, you know, watching like a lot of erotic films and like making that like part of your personality. Like there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I think that part of the beauty of being a slut is that it's like 
it's already so outside like acceptability that you got to define it for yourself and make the path for it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I love that. What a great answer. Thank and you. wherever you live. Yeah, there yeah. is. And I think it's so important to say that too, because that's such an important consideration. We can't bypass that. We yeah. can't tell everybody, be a slut wherever you wear, whatever you want, because that's totally so disregarding. Safe, yeah. yeah. The, the unique, um, situations, culture, um, systematic, trauma <laughs> exactly may not be this particular person's family. yeah like my grandma my whole mom's family lives in mexico city and like you can bet your ass when i go there i do not dress like how i dress here you know what yeah. i mean like i'm not gonna walk around mexico with a fucking short skirt on like it just does not make it just it's not i can't do that in mexico city so it's mm-hmm. like you know that's when i start taking nudes in my grandma's house like it's there's other ways <laughs> for it so don't also like nudes lewds sex highly like very fun way to explore this shit in my opinion yeah love it how can people find you where can they go to get your books yeah you can find my books anywhere and everywhere honestly um bookshop.org is a really great resource because you can like usually they have sales so it's like pretty comparable to like amazon prices and you can support your like local bookstores there. Um, if you're in LA, both Stories and Skylight Books have my book, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Penguin site. Um, and then Twitter and Instagram are both Gabby Hersick, G-A-B-Y-H-E-R-S-T-I-K. Um, you can keep up, up with me there. Patreon is the same, patreon.com slash Gabby And then you can find me, my website at gabbyherstick.com or gabriellahersick.com. Definitely check her out. Her yes. writings are super sexy, very slutty. And, yes. And, and we're all sacred. Thank <laughs> you. I just um, published a new diary of a sacred slut today for the full moon in Gemini. Um, it's usually behind a like password protected for both Patreon and OnlyFans. Um, I'm erotic oracle on OnlyFans. But right now that it, the website for diary of a sacred slut is like free for everybody to view. And um, the website for that is sacredslutdiary.com. Great. All right. I'm going there next. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you so much, Kat. Yeah, this was so fun. Yay. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.